Welcome to Elevate L&D, conversations with Cincinnati's learning and development leaders, brought to you by the Greater Cincinnati Association for Talent Development. In this episode, we'll discover how leaders can use boundary-spanning leadership to create direction, alignment, and commitment across divisions in their organizations. How do separate teams and functions work together, break down barriers, and recognize differences as strengths? Our host, Elisha Hill, talks with Dr. Donna Crobot Mason, co-author of the book, Boundary Spanning Leadership, Six Practices for Solving Problems, Driving Innovation, and Transforming Organizations. She walks us through how to achieve the nexus effect by utilizing the six practices outlined in her book. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to this episode of Elevate L&D, and I'm your host, Elisha Hill. I have over a decade of experience serving as a leader in learning and leadership development in for-profit and not-for-profit organizations. And joining me today for an exciting discussion is Dr. Donna Crobot Mason, co-author of the book, Boundary Spanning Leadership, Six Practices for Solving Problems, Driving Innovation, and Transforming Organizations. This book was published in partnership with the Center for Creative Leadership. Donna's book also was released in 2011, and it could really serve as a roadmap for learning and development professionals to support organizations in becoming more unified and cohesive in the midst of these challenging and somewhat divisive times. So welcome, Donna. We're so excited that you're here. We're excited to learn more about you, more about your research and your work. And so how about you just share a little bit more about yourself? Thanks, Alicia. So excited to be here as well. So I have been at the University of Cincinnati for 19 years, which is hard to believe, um, but I have long been an academic and a scholar studying leadership and diversity and inclusion, and especially the intersection of those two. So I have a, a doctorate in organizational psychology, and I have a long-term relationship with the Center for Creative Leadership, as you mentioned before. So I've served as an adjunct trainer and research scholar there. And I'm also wear many hats at the University of Cincinnati, including the director of our women's leadership program for faculty and staff called UC Women Lead. And most recently, I'm the academic director for a new leadership institute called the Warren Bennis Leadership Institute. So that's a little bit about me. I stay out of trouble with all those hats. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's really great that you have had such far-reaching impact and that you've had the opportunity to partner with different organizations like the Center for Creative Leadership, but also that you are just playing such a pivotal role at the University of Cincinnati in 19 years. That is amazing. So back to your book, Boundary Spanning Leadership. We've had so many great conversations just about your research around leaders and the importance of taking a unified approach, but also some of the challenges that come along with it. And I would love to know more about why you wrote this book. What was happening in your world that kind of prompted you to start down this path and to write on this particular topic? Yeah, we really were interested in the role that leaders played in either bringing people together or polarizing them. And when this book was written, we were seeing a lot of polarization. And unfortunately, I think it's just gotten worse in our world today. So mm -hmm. these issues are even more prevalent. 
Um, but we put ourselves on a journey to try to understand the role of leaders in improving things or making things worse. And mm -hmm. so we asked leaders stories. The, the crux of our research was really gathering stories, although we collected a lot of data. So we gathered data. It took almost 10 years. It involved 12 different countries, 25 different organizations, 2,800 survey responses we gathered. But I think the most telling data were the almost 300 interviews that we did with leaders. Wow. And this, we asked them to tell us stories and we said, tell us about a time when you worked collaboratively across differences to achieve something great. And tell us about a time when it worked, mm -hmm. when that collaboration worked particularly well and you were able to navigate some of the challenges and really reach a fantastic outcome. And then tell us about the disasters as well, because we want to learn from both. So tell us about the time when you wanted to collaborate and it didn't work, or you simply were not able to bridge those differences and work together. So we learned from both the successes and the failures. And then we ultimately, after all of this data, we sort of stepped back as a research team and said, what are the key themes that emerged here? And again, we kept coming back to those stories that were just so poignant. And so ultimately my co-author, after collecting all of this data, I had um, just given birth to my, my daughter and he said, you know, Donna, I think we're ready to write a book. I think we have some stories to tell and this is starting to make sense. Would you like to write a book with me? And I remember thinking, well, I can't say yes because I'm a new mom, but I can't say no because this is a great opportunity and I have some great things to share. So so I said, Chris, can you give me a few months? And he said, yes. So that's kind of how that started. And then we embarked on this journey of pulling it all together and trying to make sense of everything that we learned. Wow. I love that story about how, how you just said yes, because <laughs> you saw the importance of this topic. You saw the importance of the research that and observations that you were seeing. And I think most of all, you saw how it could be used, how yeah. it could be used to bring people together. One of the things that you said, Donna, that really stuck out to me was Leaders have the capability to either bring people together or to create polarizations, to polarize people. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think the same for a lot of HR and learning and development professionals because of the roles that we play in just connecting the dots and all the different client groups that we serve within an organization, we have influence over how people come together and work together and and in some cases, if whether or not people don't work together and don't collaborate. So we have we can sure. have a lot of influence there. And so let's dive into just the concept and the definition of boundary spanning leadership. What what is that? How do you define that? Well, let me ask for for your help in doing that a little bit, Elisha. So mm -hmm. usually I, I ask people, well, when I say the word boundary, what comes to mind? Mm -hmm. So let me ask you that. What comes to mind? So for me, when you say the word boundary, I think it. I think of lines. I think of dividing lines. I think of limits. I think of guardrails. Yeah. Um, that's Absolutely. what I think of. Yeah. That that's commonly what I hear. And so, what about the word spanning? You know, what what images come to your mind when I say spanning? You know, I think of like reaching across or like 
mm-hmm. broad, um, something that is just broad across multiple uh, spaces. And um, maybe like a, even like a bridge or just the connection between different groups and different people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People talk about, they picture people holding hands maybe, or some kind of a, a bridge or connection in some way. Now, I could ask you about leadership, but I know from my past experience that that's putting us down a wormhole, to so to speak, <laughs> because everybody seems to have their own definition of leadership. But let me share with you that in writing this book, we adopted the definition that the Center for Creative Leadership uses for leadership. And that is that leadership is not about a position or a title, but that it is anywhere that you see direction, alignment, and commitment. So -hmm. those three outcomes. And direction is where are we going? Alignment, how do we coordinate our resources to get where we want to go? And then commitment, how do we stay committed to those goals? So direction, alignment, and commitment. So if we kind of put those three things together, boundary spanning and leadership, what we mean by that then is the ability to create direction, alignment, and commitment across boundaries in service of some higher vision or a goal. Mm, I love that. And our research found that there's this process in boundary spanning. And so it, it doesn't just happen naturally. Um, it is something that we need to be very thoughtful and often strategic about. Mm-hmm. So certainly leadership is about creating direction, alignment, and commitment. But that becomes much more challenging, of course, if the goal is not clear, if the vision is not shared, if there are polarizing groups involved, all of which we know happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And as you said before, those of us in HR and learning and development often become the ambassadors. And so we become sometimes that bridge. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, boundary spanning leadership, we found, was about first what we call managing boundaries. We have to first understand what those boundaries are. And then it is looking for common ground. We called that in the book, forging common ground, looking for our similarities. So it's starting with our differences, then our similarities, and only then can we discover new frontiers. So those were the three stages that we talked about in the book, managing boundaries, forging common ground, and discovering new frontiers. Wow, that's great. And then there are different practices that are associated with each of those stages. So what are those six practices? And of course, if there are any examples that you can give us of what you've seen through all of the stories that you collected of different expressions of these practices um, in different workplaces and uh, in different contexts. Yeah, absolutely. So before I do that, though, let me just back up a moment because I think it's best to understand these practices in the context of some of the psychology research. Mm-hmm. And so psychologists tell us that we have two, fun- well, we have more than two needs, but two fundamental needs at play here when we're talking about boundary spanning. And so one is that we all need to feel like we belong. And in organizations, that means that we feel like we belong to the organization, we're a part of our team, we're a part of our unit, our division, whatever that might be. But we belong, right? We're part of something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. connected to others. 
But then we also somewhat paradoxically have the need to feel that we are recognized for our unique aspects, our unique characteristics. So we don't want to come to work just being employee number 1,542, <laughs> right? right? I want to come to work being recognized for, for myself, uh, for Donna, all the hobbies that I'm involved in, my family, my expertise, my education, my values, my priorities. So both of those things are at play. And these practices at the foundation of them is trying to find that balance, the balance between helping people feel like they belong, that they are included, mm -hmm. but also recognizing how they are different and unique. Mm. So keep that in mind as we talk about these. Balancing belonging and uniqueness. That's the key. Wow. Can I pause there? Of because course. I think what you said is so powerful. Yeah. And I think it plays a lot in how we establish and cultivate culture in our organizations? How do we create the sense of belonging for individuals? Um, and also, how do we look at that when it comes to the different functions and divisions and what makes up the organization? But then you mentioned something about just this distinctiveness, right? This mm -hmm. uniqueness that we still like to hold on to. And that's important to us individually, but also to feel like we contribute something very distinctive to this organization. And we're proud of that. And right. we want that to be seen too. And yep. so uh, I, I appreciate these tensions that you're talking about that we each deal with at an individual level, but also at an at a organizational level. Yes, absolutely. It, you know, it comes down to identity and we identify um, with that organization, hopefully, and its mission, but we also have strong ties and a sense of connection to our alma mater and our field, right? Whether we're coming mm -hmm. from sales or finance, we're going to look at problems very differently. And so it's, it's recognizing those differences and respecting those differences. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So let's dive into those practices. Yeah, let's do. So what are what are the practices? Let's focus on each one. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, I know you have some great examples. So yeah, let's talk about the first practice, buffering. Okay. So buffering, well, all six of the practices are about boundaries. So in defining each of them, I'm going to share with you a little bit about what this means for the boundaries. So buffering starts with defining those boundaries. And sometimes I get people saying, oh, great, Donna, you're here. You're going to knock down all the boundaries in our organization. You're here to save the day, huh? <laughs> exactly. Save the day. And I say, well, hold on. That's not exactly what we're here to do um, because boundaries actually are really important. Mm -hmm. We need boundaries in organizations, right? We need them to help us determine what our roles and responsibilities are. That needs to be very clear. And it creates a sense of safety. So with each one of these practices, we're manipulating or thinking about the boundaries in a certain way. And we're trying to create some outcomes. So with buffering, it is about clarifying those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it's about creating safety. 
So the way that we can define that boundary is to think about going back to our job descriptions, right? Go back to the basics. Mm -hmm. What is in my job description? What am I supposed to be doing? At the team level, it might be making sure that our team charter is very clear, making sure that rules of engagement are clear. So it's going back to some of those beginnings so that everybody's really clear about roles and responsibilities and those boundaries about what should we be doing? What should we not be doing? Allows us to show up to work very safe and comfortable with what is expected of us. Mm-hmm. Wow, I, I love that. And when you when you're talking about different functions and and different entities in an organization, having those boundaries, like you said, it creates safety. It creates understanding and clarity around what I bring and what you bring, and that respect. I right. love that piece around being able to build that respect by identifying and understanding those boundaries. Yeah, yeah, which really kind of leads us into the next one, mm-hmm. which is reflecting. And reflecting goes deeper to not only respect the boundaries that I reside within, but the boundaries of others. Mm. So reflecting, then we start looking at the other groups, right? So reflecting is about a knowledge exchange so that we can understand the boundaries between us. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. go back to any two groups within an organization, right? I'll go back to sales and finance. So I need to know um, if I'm in sales, I need to know what the finance group, what their responsibilities are. So it's important to share information, to share what they're doing, where their beginning point is and their end point is. And so it requires maybe sitting in on one another's meetings, having one-on-ones with people from those other divisions to talk about what their challenges are, what they're facing. Essentially, at the end of the day, it is about creating intergroup respect. So respect Mm -hmm. across those groups so that I have a clear understanding of what they're doing, what their roles and responsibilities are. Yeah. I can imagine that that then creates the next practice, which is connecting. Yes. And so tell us a little bit about how that will help a group once they have that respect and saying, hey, what are your challenges? And showing right. showing that interest. So, so now that leads us to connecting. So what is that about? Yeah. So buffering and reflecting is really starting with our differences. And I said, that's where we need to start. We need to start with managing boundaries. But then we move into forging common ground. And that's really what connecting is all about finding those similarities. So what do we have in common? Well, the only way we can uncover that is by connecting with one another. So connecting, we call that suspending boundaries. So what I mean by that is we might see ourselves as folks who are in sales and finance, but you know what? We need to just go out to lunch together Mm -hmm. and just be people. So it's Donna and Elisha going out to lunch and sort of taking off the hats that represent our differences. Mm -hmm. And it's connecting on a human level. So we suspend those differences or those boundaries. And the outcome of that is that we build trust and connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, think back to what I've just said. We're creating first safety, then respect, then trust. Those are the building blocks to be able to collaborate. Mm -hmm. If we don't feel safe, if we don't respect one another, and if we haven't built some trust, 
there's no way that we can effectively collaborate across our differences. Mm -hmm. So these are foundational. So oftentimes people will say, well, you know, how do I do that? And I say, you're probably already doing that. It's in some ways simple and in other ways very hard. So mm -hmm. connecting is going out to lunch with somebody. It's asking somebody to go for coffee. It's just talking with them about their weekend. Now, it's easy to do, but I say it's hard because it's also something that we often say to ourselves, this is not important. Mm -hmm. This is superfluous, right? This is not right. part of my job. Um, and this is a nice too, but when things get busy, this is what I push off of my plate. And I'm here to say that we need to remind ourselves sometimes and remind one another just how critical this is to getting the work done. Right. Connecting with people and building trust is critical to be able to collaborate in the workplace. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it is really addressing the human side of right. this, of the work that we do. We are all human beings and we all need connection. You could probably relate to experiences you've had when you were trying to get some work done and you had that trust and you had that connection and then experiences you've had when you didn't. Yep. What was the outcome? So you're definitely touching, I will say, at the heart of boundary-spanning leadership, which is human connection. I love that. I love that. Well said. Yep. All right. So mobilizing is the next one. Walk us through what that is all about. So in my opinion, this is the critical practice. And here's why. Because here we really begin to connect and move toward the work and build that collaboration. So mobilizing is about reframing the boundaries so that it's about us, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rather than us versus them, now it's us as a collective. Mm -hmm. And so we all rally behind some common mission or some common goal. And most organizations have this common mission, common goal. Most teams have that. But whether people are clear about what that is can vary. And whether that helps to really bind people together or not can vary. So it's about reframing boundaries such that we all feel a part of something bigger than ourselves. And what this does is it creates a sense of community across the groups. And so we, by clarifying these common mission, the common goals, and referring back to that, it binds us together. So for example, at the University of Cincinnati, I think it's pretty clear that students are our mission. And I've been in countless meetings where we're arguing over something. And then somebody will say, but what's best for the students? Wow. And there's kind of this pause, right? And it recenters us and helps us remember why we're all here. Mm -hmm. And that at the end of the day, we all have that in common, despite our differences. Yeah. So it's calling on that commonality and drawing that out to bring people in and help them see their role in whatever that commonality is in the organization. That was such a powerful example because 
We do often find ourselves in situations where we're having all this conversation and we each are are looking through our own lens and saying, well, this is important and that is important. Sometimes those things are at conflict with one another. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that in my space people have asked that has achieved the same impact as what you were just saying is, what problem are we solving for, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's that we, as you said, what problem are we solving for? Right. What about the weaving and the transforming? Yeah. So then we're moving into discovering new frontiers. And so this is where the innovation and the creativity comes into play. And so weaving is about integrating our group differences within this larger whole being the the vision, the common mission. And we talk about interlacing boundaries. So often the, the image that I tell people to kind of picture is a tapestry. Okay. And so if you're thinking about that, or, or maybe a rug, or if you're a weaver, the, the different colors of yarn. Uh, so you've got red yarn and blue and green. But when you weave them together, they create something bigger by connecting them and they become some beautiful image or picture or tapestry. And so similarly, if we think about our differences across our different groups and we begin to interlace these groups and connect them in ways, we become more interdependent on one another. Mm-hmm. So here's what I mean by that in a practical sense. So we begin to recognize how my strengths may be your weaknesses and your strengths mm-hmm. are my weaknesses. And thus together, we can do something so much bigger than if we could separately. Mm-hmm. And here then are differences rather than being a source of frustration or conflict. We begin to see our differences as complementary. And where your strengths are, I need those, right? I I, I need to be dependent on you. I've got to work with you, not against you, Mm -hmm. because you have different strengths and different ways of doing things and uh, different skills and priorities and vantage points. And all of those are going to help me go further faster than if I was doing this by myself. So that's what we mean by weaving. It's integrating our group differences, interlacing our boundaries in order to become more interdependent on one another. That is awesome. I love (laughs) that. I really was picturing a tapestry and all the beautiful artwork, right, Uh that it creates. Uh, The last practice is transforming. So when you get to like practice six, Mm -hmm. is this kind of like a culmination of all of them? Or is this what we are aiming for when we talk about these six practices and and really implementing each? Yeah, indeed it is. It's, It's really the culmination of the previous five coming together. So transforming is moving into this innovation, creativity, reinvention space. And so the notion here is that we've got to get people talking with one another who maybe normally are not talking with one another or they're not working together. Right. So let me give you an example. In the book, we talk about environmentalists and a group of industrial manufacturing executives. You know, on the one hand, they're completely opposed and have opposing views and priorities. 
but yet they have to work together to be able to move forward. And, and so they really have to understand uh, what, what each group is interested in, what they're striving for, and they need to be talking with one another to be able to make progress. So transforming is about cutting across boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so it's really inviting people into the room, inviting people into the conversation that you may not really want to talk to, right? It's it's inviting this conflict in some ways. But like I said, with weaving, when you get to that point where you begin to see the conflict as a source of learning and as a source of transformation, Mm -hmm. rather than just a source of frustration, that's where this reinvention and innovation can flourish. And so it's bringing people together and cutting across boundaries, putting them in the same room together to just imagine what are the possibilities? What can what can be? Wow. And so that's when you say groups, if they've gone through these six practices and they've, mm-hmm. they've reached this phase of transformation, you talk about something called the nexus effect and that yeah. being kind of just this ultimate goal. Can you share more about what that is? Simplistically, the nexus effect is one plus one is greater than two. And so what I mean by that (laughs) is groups are going to achieve more together than they can possibly do when they're operating alone. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about, you've probably heard the term wicked problems, right? Wicked Mm -hmm. problems are complex problems that require a lot of people working together to resolve that issue. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, we are dealing with complex problems. Um, Healthcare, (laughs) your area is one Mm -hmm. prime example, right? But but education, access to education. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is not something that one group, one team, one organization can combat effectively by themselves. These wicked problems, we have to be able to collaborate and work together. And so the nexus effect says that if we are able to engage in these practices and we work toward this, we get people in the room who maybe would not be talking and we begin to foster this culture of collaboration, we can achieve so much more together Mm -hmm. than we could possibly do in our silos, in our pockets, trying to do this by ourselves. So that's what we're striving for in our book. And there are some examples. It's Mm -hmm. not an easy thing to do, but we do offer some examples of of some folks that we think did go through all of these practices and ultimately achieve this. Wow. Thank you so much for walking us through those six practices and also explaining in detail what the nexus effect is and how individuals and teams and groups can work together to achieve that ultimate goal. So Donna, they don't just come easily, right? It's not like something like, oh, okay, I heard this episode and now I'm about to go do these with no effort at all. Like there's going to be some challenges that we face and specifically that we face as learning and development practitioners. So would love to hear what are the common challenges that people face when they're trying to practice this boundary spanning leadership? And then how might they overcome some of these challenges to achieve the nexus effect? So I've done a lot of consulting with various groups. And one of the things that people say is, Donna, I don't know where to start. 
do I have to start at the beginning? Do I start at buffering? And my answer to that is, well, consider the outcome. So start wherever you need to start. We know that life is not a linear process, even though we often talk about it that way. It's not always that way. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you feel that the groups that you're trying to work with and trying to collaborate with, if there is a lack of safety or there's a lack of clarity around roles and responsibilities, then you have to start at buffering. But if you feel that that's pretty clear, but there's a lack of trust maybe, Mm -hmm. then you start with connecting and you start asking people to go out to lunch. But if you feel that you've got those foundations there, that yes, indeed, we have clear roles and responsibilities, we know what each other are doing, there's a respect across groups, and there's connection, a human connection, then maybe we've got to work on our shared mission or goal and clarifying that. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps it's that we're not really leveraging our differences. We know what our differences are, but we're kind of scared to to jump into that weaving practice Mm -hmm. and begin to rely on one another. And so that's my suggestion is to start where you need to start with respect to the outcome. Mm -hmm. Another challenge that I think people often face is that they just want to find common ground. So, you know, you often hear like, oh, I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. We need to all row in the same direction. There's all different kinds of mantras out there. And absolutely you want to do that. But I would like to suggest that you will make a big mistake if you're trying to seek common ground and focusing on your similarities without a strong understanding of your differences. Yeah. So I think the differences have to come first. You have to understand how are we different? Because if you simply jump into finding how are we common, how what commonalities do we have, and focusing on the mission, then what can often happen is people feel pressure to assimilate. Mm-hmm. And assimilation is, is a term that we often use in um, diversity and inclusion spaces mm-hmm. to mean that, well, yes, you can come be a part of this, but only if you act, look like, talk like me. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel good to people because it's not recognizing our uniqueness, right? right? So back to those two needs of I need to feel like I belong, but I also need to feel like you recognize me for who I am in a unique way. And so we've got to start with those differences. So trying to get everybody on the same page or rowing in the same direction too quickly can often backfire. So that leads me to the last thing, which is I often say to people, slow down in order to speed up. Mm. And so, yes, it it feels like you're slowing down, right? And in... (laughs) Time is of the essence in in organizations, and I know it feels counter to what many of us are told to do, right? It's it's hurry up, hurry up. Mm -hmm. But we often need to slow down and connect with one another. You've got to slow down, create that human connection, that trust, that respect, that safety. Those are foundations. And yes, you do have to slow down to do that. But then you have those foundations so that you can speed up and engage in more of the collaborative and innovative work. 
That is one of my favorite sayings, slow down to speed up. (laughs) You know, you can find yourself on this hamster wheel of trying to get things done and and be efficient. But like the the enemy of being efficient is, you know, you leave effectiveness behind. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you are taking the time to do the right thing. And as you mentioned, taking the time to build connection, to make sure that you are acknowledging each other's differences and respecting those differences among the different groups. So I love that encouragement to slow down, to speed up, because you're right. It is. It feels a little counterintuitive, but it's not. It absolutely isn't. <laughs> we have to remind ourselves of that often, I think. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you shared that in your book, there are several different stories mm-hmm. about how individuals and organizations have used boundary-spanning leadership to solve their toughest issues and problems and to create innovation and to drive towards a common goal. Would love to hear one of those stories in how a group that you worked with utilized boundary-spanning leadership and and what outcomes did they achieve? Mm, Yes. I want to share a story with you because it's just, I think it's so cool. So, Shortly after we published the book, the Center for Creative Leadership got a call from General Lloyd Austin. He had gone through programs there. And General Austin was the Department of Defense in Iraq Mm -hmm. following the operation called Iraqi Freedom. And he reached out to CCL because he said, I have just about a year and my mission is to transfer operations from the Department of Defense to the Department of State. Mm -hmm. We've got to move out all of our tanks, all of our equipment, all of our people. And we've got to do this major transition from a military operation to a sustainable diplomatic and civilian operation in Iraq. Wow. And there's many, many differences. I've got tribes within Iraq. I've got different factions. And then I've got within the United States structure, the Department of Defense and state, which are very different entities and operate very differently. Mm -hmm. Do you know anybody that does anything around this? And the folks at CCL said, aha, we do. (laughs) We have a couple of people who just wrote a book about this. So we had the opportunity to work with them. Um, I mentioned that I had uh, recently given birth to my daughter. So I did not go to Iraq because it was not the safest (laughs) place at the time, but my co-author did. He went and some folks from the Center for Creative Leadership went and essentially presented our model to them. Spent about a 16-hour day with the leaders from the Department of Defense and State, including Lloyd Austin and the ambassador, James Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. And both of these gentlemen brought their teams and um, really learned about all of these six practices that we just talked about. Now, a year after, just as they had finished their operation, so they basically had to reduce troops They had to take out all of their equipment, and then they had to transition. As I said, they had 15 months to accomplish this mission, including the withdrawal of all of the U.S. forces from the Department of Defense. So it was a lot. When they finished that, I had the opportunity to talk to both of these gentlemen and and find out how our work had helped them. Mm -hmm. And here's what they said. So number one, they said, we are smart people. We could have figured this out on our own, but... You gave us a model and you gave us language, and that helped us get there a lot quicker Mm -hmm. and more efficiently. And that's really important in our line of work. Right. 
I imagine that's important in everybody's line of work. So, so some of that's what I'm able to do is give you language. You even said, Elisha, that many people are already doing some of these practices. So, but it's, it's labeling it and it's being more thoughtful and strategic about these things. So they talked about how they focused on collaboration and partnership from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And before they even started this transition is when they did this 16 hour long day of learning about our framework. And they used that framework for the bulk of their work for the next 15 months. They talked about creating a team of teams. So yes, there were a lot of teams that had differences and were doing different things, but they were all connected by this super ordinate team, if you will, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the Department of Defense. It wasn't the Department of State. It was the operation as a whole. And so they called it Operation New Dawn. And Operation New Dawn encompassed all of these different teams. So a team of teams, that was their mantra. And so General Austin and Ambassador Jeffrey, they ended up having joint meetings. They said that they felt that it was really important as leaders to show their teams that they were always together Mm -hmm. and not always in one place. So they ended up alternating where they would meet because they were geographically in different locations. So once a week, they would always meet and they would, you know, and imagine this is a security issue. So it was a big deal for them to travel and go to one another, but they felt that it was so important to give that united front Mm -hmm. for their folks that they were always together. They also met together when they went in front of Washington, when they went to DC and they met with, um, legislators, they would always have a single voice. So of course they had differences, but they would talk about those differences. And when they went to Washington, they were united. And here's the kicker. They said that they really did begin to see their differences as strengths. Mm -hmm. That was not overnight, but that was something that by spending more time, by taking the time to get to know one another, by taking the time to go and visit where the other was and what was going on in the other's world, so to speak, they really began to understand and respect more fully their differences. So for example, the diplomats on the Department of State side, you know, they they can write a memo like, you know, nobody's business and they can convey ideas in a very concise way. But the Department of Defense side, the military personnel, they were more skilled at, at planning and setting vision. And so they, they found ways to leverage both of those differences and become stronger together. And then General Austin and Ambassador Jeffrey spoke about how they had to role model it, that it all started with them, that it would not have happened. They weren't the only ones, of course, but mm-hmm. they had to set the tone. And so they had to really show up in this way and create this culture of collaboration and interdependence Mm -hmm. that they had to rely on one another. They were going to be better together than working separately or at odds. And so it started with the leadership. Wow. I love that. I love that. Being a leadership development scholar and, and practitioner, you know, I I always love to hear when leaders say, 
we have to role model. Yeah. We have to be the examples. We have to lean into this. They even have to see us struggle sometimes yeah. with, the, with these concepts. And they even have to see us struggle with the application of some of this. And I love Operation New Dawn. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like that's something I need to put on a post-it note somewhere. There you go. Yes, that's right. Inspire and encourage me to kind of say, this is a new dawn. It's a new day. Uh-huh. And how we've done things in the past, we don't always have to bring forward Absolutely. because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're creating more connection. We're creating more respect and trust, and we're cultivating a space where we are respecting differences. I love that. I absolutely love it. Donna, you have shared so much of your expertise today and your research and your experience, and we are greatly, greatly appreciative of that and of your time. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? And also, where can people find you? Well, you can find me. Um, probably the easiest place is to, to go to our Warren Bennis Leadership Institute website at the University of Cincinnati. That is probably the easiest is to reach out to me there, but you can also find me on LinkedIn. I just want to encourage everybody to start boundary spanning practices because I think it is something that probably most of our listeners are doing already, but by utilizing this model and being more thoughtful and strategic about it, I think it will become easier and more effective over time. So one of the other things that my co-author and I did, we started looking at uh, the word boundary. And we found that boundary has two different meanings. Literally, if you look in the dictionary, the most common definition is that a boundary is something that indicates a bound or a limit. It is a border or a bounding line. So restrictive, right? But another definition again, in the dictionary, is that a boundary is also a frontier. It's the location of the most advanced or newest activity in an area. So my challenge to our listeners is to think about that, that we can either let the boundaries, the differences among our groups become a restriction, a barrier, or we can foster some of these practices to ensure that those boundaries become the place of new advanced activity, that transformation, that innovation and creativity. And that's what I think we want. Absolutely. That's exactly what we want. <laughs> wow. Woo. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Again, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Robot Mason. Thank you. It was my pleasure being with you. Also, thank you everybody out there for taking the time to listen to this conversation. We hope that you had your pen and paper and you were writing down some nuggets because there were a lot of nuggets in this conversation. I I was writing down these nuggets as we were talking. So hopefully you were doing the same. Again, we will catch you next time. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Elevate L&D with Elisha Hill and Dr. Donna Crobot-Mason. Next time, host Dan Link and his guest, Roy Nickerson, will discuss how to be a continuous learner. Have a topic you'd like to hear on the podcast? Email your comments or suggestions to podcast at gcatd.org. Thanks for listening.